0: Welcome
1: to Gateway. We're so glad you're here. There's a lot of things you could be doing right now, but we're so grateful that you chose to worship with us. No matter where you're viewing from this
0: morning, we just pray a special blessing over your time as we worship together.
1: excited to be with you here today I'm looking forward as we continue in our conversation in our series 242 which comes out of Acts chapter 2 verse 42 where it says that they were devoted committed to the apostles teaching that they were committed to doing life together and that they were a people of prayer and I believe that we desire that here at Gateway as well don't you that we desire to allow the the Word of God to shape us and to mold us That we want to do hashtag life together to be there for one another and that we want to be a people that takes a posture of prayer. If you're joining us here this morning online, I would encourage you to grab that cup of coffee, grab your Bibles, grab your tablets and find your place there um, on the couch. Um, If you found us on social media and you're with us for the first time, we just want to say welcome and thank you for being a part. And if you don't have a regular place of worship We would love to have you um, come and be a part here at Gateway and be a part of the fellowship. And if you're looking for uh, an opportunity to come and uh, be with us uh, here in our outdoor venue this evening um, at 6 p.m., you can find us there at gatewaynaz.org. You can find us there, register, and we would love to have you come and be a part of that as well. But make sure that you register for that. Our conversation today is uh, going to be looking at embody, embody God's purposes. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. So um, open up your Bibles, grab your tablets, and and let's read the text here together this morning. It says, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion in the Italian company. He and his whole household were, were pious gentile god worshipers he gave generously to to those in need among the jewish people and and prayed to god constantly one day at nearly three o'clock in the afternoon he clearly saw an angel from god in a vision the angel came to him and said cornelius startled he stared at the angel and replied what is it lord the angel said your prayers and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to God. Send messengers to Joppa at once and summon a certain Simon, the one that is known as Peter. He is a guest of Simon the Tanner, whose house is near the seacoast. When the angel who was speaking to him had gone, Cornelius summoned two of his household servants along with a, a pious soldier from his personal staff. He explained everything to them, Then he sent them off to Joppa. At noon on the following day, as their journey brought them close to the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted to eat. While others were preparing the meal, he had a a vision experience himself. He saw heaven open up and something like a large linen sheet being lowered to earth by its four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, and wild birds. A voice told him, Get up, get up, Peter, and go kill and eat. Peter exclaimed, Absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times then the object was suddenly pulled back into heaven. As we look at our text and as we begin our conversation here today, uh, there's there's just one thing that I want us to focus on as we as we look at this narrative, and it really in two parts. You can look at it as scene one and and, and scene two, but the, there's this this uh, this this theme that I like for us to to unpack and develop, and that is. To embody, to embody God's purposes in each of our lives and and in the world where we reside. As we take a look at this narrative, I think that it will remind us that God's redemptive story is on the move. That it cannot and it will not be thwarted. I I love what the prophet Isaiah says in, in Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 11. In the message translation, it says this. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way that I work, says God. For as the sky soars high above earth, so the way I work surpasses the way that you work. And the way I think is beyond the way that that you think. Just as rain and snow descend from the sky and don't look back or don't go back until they have watered the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom Producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry, so will the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty handed. They'll do the work that I sent them to do, they'll complete the assignment that I gave to them. So, what I want to do is this morning, as we start our conversation, is I I want to ask this question. And the question is this How did the church get here? How did it arrive at chapter ten? We've been we've been looking at this text. We've been looking at a number of narratives in our series two forty two, and now we've come to chapter ten, and we're looking at verses one through sixteen. How did the church arrive arrive to this place where, where insiders are willing to include outsiders, or or that those that were considered outsiders? Are desiring to be a part, to be a part of something that is absolutely incredible, to be a part of a movement, to be a part of something that that will have eternal impact. So think about it. It started in Jerusalem, right? Do you remember Acts one eight? Do you remember when Jesus was addressing the assembly when he said, "When the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you." You will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and and, and then into Samaria. And then we we look at this conversation as it continues and and as his commission, as Jesus was speaking this, we see in just a few weeks ago, we saw where there was the the conversion of of the Ethiopian, the, the eunuch. And then it continues where we see the redemptive story, not only in Jerusalem and Samaria, but now it's it's pushing forward, it's pushing out to the ends of the earth. In recent weeks, our 242 conversation has afforded us great insights into Saul. Saul, who was public enemy number one, who who, who has now is now referred to as Paul since his conversion. But we saw what? We saw that God used him, that God chose him to be an instrument for a redemptive story. Do, do you remember, and we mentioned this on a number of occasions, but, but, but Paul has, has written a, a good portion of the New Testament, of the scriptures that, that we use this very day. As we travel along through our series and as we discover that the Acts of the Apostles, with, with great anticipation, we have to wonder where the redemptive story will end up next, right? What, what will we see next? And now we've arrived at Acts chapter 10. In our text today, we have two scenes that, that are found in this narrative. One, we have a guy by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile, one who is not Jewish. He is a Roman officer. Look at verse 2 there in our text there before you. He's a captain of the guard. The the text tells us that that he was a good man. The text tells us that that he was a leader by vocation. It tells us that that he was a seeker of truth. That he was a generous man. That he was always helping others in need. Kind of sounds like a a Barnabas that we've talked about in, in recent weeks. He was also one who was devoted to prayer. That says a lot, I think, especially that that part that says that that he was devoted to prayer. Have you ever had a prayer warrior in your life? Have you ever engaged in the discipline of prayer yourself? Prayer is, is the most powerful thing. In the Old Testament, we see Daniel in chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, when when Daniel found out that the king had issued a decree that that all should bow down and and worship the king. And, And Daniel was so troubled by that that he went where he was accustomed to praying every day. He went to his room and he prayed three times a day, giving praise and glory to God. And then calling upon God to intervene only if and when he chose to. But what appeared to be a dire situation there in the Old Testament with Daniel would eventually see God move mightily. We would see where a man's prayers, Daniel, brought glory to God and embodied God's purposes. We need to be praying first and foremost right now for our, our responders, our first responders and, and our firefighters. Those that, that have been evacuated and displaced those who have lost their homes. We need to be a people of prayer. In our text, scene one, Luke tells us that Cornelius had a vision. In that vision, an angel comes and says, look at verse four there. Cornelius, your prayers and your neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Wow, imagine that. Imagine that. That you're just going about and you're you're living your life, your daily prayer life, your generosity, your example of living out a sacred rhythm, and it gets God's attention. That is awesome. That is truly incredible. Look at verse 5. Cornelius, send your messengers to Joppa at once and summon Simon, the, the one that is known as Peter, Verse 7, it tells us that as soon as the angel messenger left the building, Cornelius gathered his messengers as he was instructed. He wasted no time. Look at verse 8. He explained to those that he chose, two household servants and a devout soldier, to to go to Peter and tell him what had happened. And I think that as he shared with his servants and with his, his, his devout soldier... I believe that that's what we would call in the church a testimony. And then scene two. Look look at verse nine. In Joppa, Peter goes up on the roof to pray, which was quite common in the day. But he goes up to the roof to pray. And in verse 10, it tells us that while he was praying, his stomach starts to growl a bit. Don't you hate that when that happens? You just get situated. You have some quiet time and. And all of a sudden, your stomach is louder than your your neighbor's barking dog. The text tells us that that Peter just starts into his prayer and he starts thinking about food. It was probably around meal time, possibly lunch, perhaps because verse ten tells us that that the place that he was staying, they were actually preparing him a meal. He was probably spelling the, the the cheeseburgers or that you know the steaks that were out on the grill, something. Uh, but, uh, but he was hungry, and he started to think about his appetite. But first, 10 tells us that, that Peter, while he was up on the rooftop, while he was praying, he has this vision. And in his vision, he, he sees the heavenly skies open up and something that looked like this, this big blanket. And it was being lowered by ropes on all four corners. And eventually, it settled to the ground. And it contained in that blanket, there was, was all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, and wild birds. Look at the text there. And then there was this voice that said, this voice that said, Peter, get up, go and kill and eat. And at that very moment, Peter begins to experience tension. There was this, there was this immediate stirring of conflict within him. See, the blanket contains all kinds of animals, right? We, we see that there. We, we just read that. Then, then he's told to, to get up, to, to go kill and then to eat, to satisfy his hunger. Uh, he was told to go and eat. But he has this problem and, and, and this conflict, this, this tension. it starts to stir. But what was troubling him is the fact that these animals were, were part of Israel's list of, of unclean animals. He was told not to eat them. There was these rules, if you will. See, this genuine conflict within him impacts the ways that these understood the selection of Israel as God's transformed people. In other words, there were laws in the Torah that would forbid him from what he was just instructed to do. In Leviticus 11, these animals were considered unclean. They were considered detestable. Look at verse 14. Peter exclaims, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Then comes the response that Anti Wright says, and, and I quote, echoed through the centuries and still challenges all kinds of prejudice. Look at verse 15. Then the voice of vision in the vision responds. What God has made clean, You must not call unclean. Have you ever just had one of those teachable moments? Maybe you didn't realize it at the moment, but but it would later become monumental in your life. Well, let's just say that that Peter is in the classroom, that, that Peter is being instructed, that Peter is learning. Friends, God's selection of Israel, his, his chosen people, the, the, the people of exile was not based upon any pre-existent holiness of the people. In fact, God's care for them, the, the calling of them as his people primarily had to do with their inherent vulnerability. They were captives, they were slaves, and, and God heard their cries just this week in, in chapter 9 we saw when when god heard the cries of Aeneas and, and, and the man the man who had been bedridden for for 8 plus years his physical health w- was diminishing but god heard his prayers and he was healed right and then in that same chapter we saw the the raising of tabitha a, a dearly loved woman who who died suddenly her, her love for others and, and what she did for the community left a huge hole in the hearts of many. And God heard the cries of her friends. And Peter prayed and told her to get up. How often did we see in the ministry of Christ where where he addressed the, the cries of, of those that were in need? How about the adulterous woman in John chapter 8? The accusers brought an unclean woman to the feet. Of Jesus and demanded a response from him. In verse 7 of John 8, Jesus says, ma tos, which means without sin. Any one of you here that is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. But if you've ever heard that story, you know that they weren't concerned about the woman. They were simply using her as a token to try and trap Jesus. The beauty of what we see in that story is that Jesus hears her cry. What is brought to him is a life of brokenness and shame. But what he sees is a life with great possibilities. He sees renewal. He he sees a a coming celebration in heaven because of a life that was once lost has been saved. What others had referred to as unclean. God sees as a new creation and one whose blemishes was washed anew. In Luke chapter 23, verse 42, as Jesus hung dying on the cross, the the thief that was hanging next to him said, Jesus, Jesus, please, please remember me this day when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus see on the cross that day? He saw a humbled man who, who despite all his misgivings, his past choices, was, was in the very presence of God. What others considered unclean and unworthy, Christ saw as a new creation whose blemishes were washed anew. And in Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus told him, don't worry. Don't worry, I will remember you today. Today you will join me in paradise. Look at verse 14 in our text. Peter said, absolutely not. I, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. There's there's a word that comes to mind as I've been reading that text and, and studying this text here this week. And that word is humility. Friends, our, our primary responsibility for living it, 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 living for God, living to share the redemptive story is to embody, to embody God's purposes. Scene one, Cornelius is, is assured that God sees him and accepts him. That his life is a, a memorial before God. That's huge. He's a, he's a Gentile. He, he's not a Jew. And God sees him. God sees how he's living his life and it is called a memorial to God. That God is pleased with what he sees in Cornelius. Oh, I want that said of of my life, don't you? That my legacy, that someday it will be said, I hope that it will be said of me, that that my legacy was, my life was a memorial before God. That that what I did and how I lived embodied the, the purposes of God. Oh, that is my desire. Scene two, verse 13. Peter's instructed to to go and make use of of what has been sent to him, but he was he was refusing to. He said, "Absolutely not." In the simplest of terms, the the distinction of, of the meats which the law intended was was put it put it, it, it put a difference between Jews and Gentiles. In, in other words, it would be very difficult for a Jew and a Gentile to eat together, to to be in fellowship with one another, to come to the table together. You see where this is going, don't you? Peter, in the early stages of his ministry, he, he's in the classroom. He's having these, these teachable moments. By saying, eat, Peter, by saying, eat, the prohibition is gone. There is now this this allowance, this allowance to converse. There There's this way to be free and to be familiar with To be in koinonia with another. Are are you tracking with me here today? How often do we refuse to to leave our comfort zones? We like familiarity, don't we? We we like predictability, don't we? We like the norm. We we like the the usual. And when something throws us a curve, we, we don't like it. And sometimes we, we push back or we, we experience that tension or there's that, that, that internal conflict. And when something tries to change, when something tries to change that up, there's frustration and, and agitation. Friends, Peter gets to, to he gets the Jerusalem. He, he gets the Samaria. He gets the Judea. Back to referring to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when, when Jesus gathered the people together but to all of the ends of the earth, uh, but to all of the ends of the earth, Peter. See, God is moving and, and Peter needed to realize he, he needed to embody God's purposes. We'll impact that more as we look at um, the, the latter part of chapter 10 uh, this next week. Friends, we need a clear vision. We need to come to a place in our hearts and lives that, that whatever breaks the heart of God should break ours. We need to be about kingdom. We need to be about kingdom purposes. We need to embody God's purposes. And what is that? Luke chapter 15 verse 10 says that God's angels throw a party every time one lost soul turns to God. We need to be a people of character and less about comfort. A number of years ago, a very dear friend of mine um, was was in, in the city. As he was walking down the sidewalk, he saw a young man that was was sitting outside of a, of an eating establishment, and and it was very obvious that uh, that this individual, this this young man, was was very tired and, and and very hungry. And my friend came up to him and he said, "Friend, um, you look like you, you you you'd like to have a, a, something to eat. Would you like to have something to eat?" And the young man responded, "Yes, I would." And So my friend helped the, the the young man up and went inside this food establishment and found a place there and was waiting to order their food and about that same time a whole entourage of people came into that restaurant it was a Sunday morning and it was uh, excuse me early Sunday afternoon church services down the street had had just finished and people were coming in and and uh, had their Sunday best on and and there was even a couple of uh Bibles that were in towed, as my friend shared. And they began to sit there, and they began to talk about the message that was given, and how awesome it was, and all of that. And And uh, they, too, were waiting to order their food. And, and after a while, um, my friend was approached at the table. He was approached by the manager. And the manager simply said, I'm going to have to ask the two of you to, to leave. And my friend said, is there a problem? And... The manager said, yes, people in the restaurant, they they feel uncomfortable that that, that you and this young man uh, are here. And uh, they've asked for me to ask you to leave. How sad is that? We need to be a people of character, that we need to be a people of character, not worry so much about our comfortability. A group of people that with Bibles in hand and sitting there talking about the Sunday sermon have requested that that a homeless man, somebody that was tired and hungry, was sitting in the same establishment. Well, needless to say, my, my friend apologized to this young man and helped him up out of the booth, and they went on down the street and they found another place that would serve them, and my friend spent some time with him and prayed with him and, and, uh, and made sure that, uh, that, that he had something to eat that afternoon. Oh, character over comfort. I think this evening, excuse me, this morning, I think that we need to realize that that God sent his one and only son to die for all people, of all nations, of, of all languages, without any distinction between Greek or Jew. It's a beautiful thing when we think about what God desires for each of us and what he desires for all of us to be collectively, corporately, to be a people Devoted to his word to be a people that are devoted and committed to doing life together. That we are a people that take a posture of prayer. Rise up, Peter. Rise up without referring to, to unclean or clean. Rise up, Peter. What God has has cleansed ye, not call common. In other words, what God calls clean, do not call unclean. Christ has opened up the kingdom of heaven for all who believe. Serving doesn't always bring wealth and blessing. In fact, it it, it may even bring hardship and suffering. But we must be reminded, we must be reminded that our primary responsibility is to embody God's purposes. We're going to unpack this text, the latter part of, of chapter 10 again this next week but all they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to doing life together, that they were committed to being a people of prayer. This is the word of God. And I say, thanks be to God for the people of God, Shalom. Good
2: morning, Gateway family and friends. It's prayer time again. Time to take our notes of praise and petitions to the Lord. The songwriter said, where could I go but to the Lord? So true are those words. It's so good to connect with so many of you again, whether you're here in the sanctuary or at home or on the patio. I trust that you have had a good week, even though we have been reminded of the tragic 9-11 attack. And even now, as we are living in such chaotic times, I'm so glad we have a friend called Jesus who walks and talks with us in whatever we face each day. We also have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to help us keep our balance against the winds of uncertainty and adversity. I love the lyrics of Kirk Franklin. My life is in your hands. I know that I can make it. Can you say amen? Before we pray, thank you again, Pastor Joe, for the message Embody God's purposes. It sounds like the church is still needing help. God is not finished with the church, including Gateway. The church is still trying to help, the Lord is still trying to help the church understand that we are to bring insiders and outsiders together, Jew and Gentile. The redemptive story leaves no room for practicing a selective compassion. I say it again, all lives matter to God. Amen? Amen may we be ready to say and apply the words of Ron Kennelly, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Acts 2.42 calls us to be steadfast in doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Now join me as we go to the throne room of God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we lift up our praise and thanksgiving to you. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The joy of the Lord is forever our strength. As trials come and go, we live from day to day knowing that this old world is not our home. I pray that your comfort healing and peace will be with you, and especially those who are suffering and facing challenges of various kinds. Today, Father, be especially near to Hannah Height, Gerald Martin, Marilyn Moore, Bob Blair, Steve Webb, Marilyn Summer, Vanji Shock, Eileen Young, Tommy Lanetta, Leah Rots, Sandy Beatty, Ron and Sandy Griffith, and others who need your loving arms around them. I pray for pastors and church leaders as they do their best to keep their connections with their congregations. May they be encouraged by those who they shepherd. I pray for those who have lost their homes and loved ones in this tragic time of fires, those who've had to leave their homes, protect our firefighters and first responders as they face this unbearable heat. May the fires die down and be extinguished. I pray again for our morally, politically, racially, spiritually divided nation. Have mercy upon America and forgive us of our sins. I pray for our president and all in authority over us. Open their hearts and minds to their need of God. May darkness be turned to light and truth prevail. I pray for the church. Reignite and rekindle a new flame of revival and steadfast love for God. Give your people a kingdom mindset as we face the greatest challenges of all history. Father, as we face a new week now, may we not grow weary in well-doing, nor become complacent and confused. May we not become consumed with the divisive culture of the day, but instead be consumed with the good news of hope that comes from God's word. Help us to look for ways to encourage someone. As Paul wrote, Help us to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your love for us. In your holy name I pray, amen.